welcome to the Chelsea Olson podcast. I am delighted to welcome you to the community for all things leadership, wellness, and creativity. I believe in a world driven by abundance where businesses, humanity, and our planet thrive. It is time to redefine success and start building the world we dream to live in. It starts with you, and it starts here. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode. I am so excited to introduce Asiera, who is an educator, mentor, and artist. She specializes in life, voice, and leadership coaching, transformational facilitation, and ceremonial music. She has a deep passion in life to create wild and holy spaces where human creativity, benevolent leadership, and embodied wellness intersect with the divine to harmonize life on earth. Her mission is to heal the psyche and soul of the world by guiding humanity into a deeper sense of connection with self, others, nature, and source. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yay, I'm so excited. It's such an honor to be here in this space. Yeah, looking forward to explore whatever wants to come through in this moment together today. Thank you. So why don't we just start with you telling us your story about how you came to study and really embody leadership? Yeah. So where to start? I think where to start is, you know, the story of leadership for me has always just been a way of being just kind of part of my natural essence, even as a child, you know, in my friendships and in my groups, you know, everyone was kind of looking to me to guide, to direct, you know, it's just been an authentic way of being within myself. Um, But through my life experience, I have allowed myself to like really deepen into that. And in this conversation, there's a huge tie between leadership and earth wisdom, which is going to come through in this conversation today. And so, you know, when I went to university to study, um, my passion and my excitement at that time was learning about the earth. And so I got my degree in earth science, environmental studies, but also teacher education. So I was really learning and studying how do I share the message of the earth with more people? And that's where I was at in my early 20s, right? And um, after I graduated, I became a high school science teacher. (laughs) And I did that in inner city Chicago, in the high mountains of Colorado, and all the way to tropical Bali at the green school in Bali. Um, And throughout those six years of teaching, I mean, I had to come in front of these students on a day to day basis and really hone my voice, really hone my teaching skills, really hone how to manage group dynamics. I mean, high school kids are some of the most judgmental humans on the planet. So I had to like really, really learn how to work, you know, with the dynamic of kids and simultaneously get a lesson across, get a teaching across, inspire them. And so those six years, I would say a lot of my facilitation leadership skill sets just started calling me forward, you know, to be guiding the space, to be leading the space for these kids, you know? And, and then after that, I, got this huge calling after teaching environmental and earth's, you know, studies for six years, I was teaching the kids about all these statistics about the earth, about the environment. And sometimes these statistics can be really quite depressing. There's a root of sickness that's happening on our planet. And at that time, I was living in Bali at the time and, and teaching these kids about overpopulation and overconsumption and what's happening to the forest and deforestations. And my heart was kind of simultaneously breaking, you know, as I was teaching these kids. But what I was teaching them was how to have a relationship with the earth. Because if we don't have a relationship with the earth, we're not going to naturally organically care for it. We're not going to protect it. We're not going going to become stewards of it. So, you know, um, I was 
all the time that teacher taking the kids out into the earth to build that bond and that relationship with the earth so that I was kind of balancing almost the ecological anxiety that comes with environmental studies and helping them to build the bond so that they would naturally want to become caretakers of the earth, right? And then I just got this really intuitive guidance from me that it was time to leave the classroom. And at that time, I started getting really deeply living amongst the Balinese and their way of life, which is very ceremony based. Um, and just learning this new way of living and just becoming so curious about indigenous wisdom and an indigenous intelligence, because a lot of times intuitively the indigenous um, peoples of our planet, they are very deeply woven into the rhythms and the cycles of the earth, right? And so I was like, you know what, I need to go study with the masters. <laughs> and so I quit my teaching career at that point. And, you know, you could look at it as a sabbatical. I went on a sabbatical. It was a year long quest that I went on to study with indigenous tribes from West Papua to, you know, inside, you know, the jungles of Mexico down to Colombia into Guatemala and Australia, back to Bali. And I was just like, I want to learn how to be in right relationship. And at that time, I acknowledged that there was a deep sickness on our planet. So this is when I started kind of transitioning into the healing arts, the ceremonial arts. And I wanted to learn this way of life and leadership to infuse that into my teachings, infuse that into how I actually lead people. And so from there, I started, you know, getting more into leading retreats, holding weekly um, ceremonies in the community where it was really focused on just coming together in unity and singing and deep prayer and meditation. And I mean, these ceremonies were just extraordinary. Like, the people who showed up at the beginning of the ceremony and who they left afterwards, it was two completely different people like lit up, inspired to be caretakers, to be stewards, to be change makers on this planet. And so that's where my leadership really shifted towards, um, you know, out of the classroom, you know, in the standard model of public education and into the world as my classroom and shifted me from teaching the curriculum that was required in high school teaching or public school, private school teaching and into inventing and creating the curriculum that I feel really deeply passionate about. So at this point in my leadership and, and where I'm at now, I guide others like you shared in my introduction there. I do a lot of online courses with people. I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one mentorships with people focused on voice, leadership, you know, just healing our lives in general. And, and the reason why I went in those jungles essentially and to learn from these tribes was to find an antidote. What was the solution? What was the the piece of medicine that I could discover that I could share that is going to be a healing salve for the sickness that is on this planet. So I feel like I came out of those jungles with a gem and with deeper wisdom through learning from these indigenous tribes and how they are deeply connected to the land, to source, spirit, guide, God, you know, whatever you, the divine, whatever you want to call it, um, and also a deep connection to their community, to their people. And so I just, I learned so much. And so my business model at this point is so deeply infused with all of those teachings and my leadership in general as well. So yeah, that, that's, uh, that's the, that's the cliff notes version. <laughs> of my There's still so much there. <laughs> so how did your definition of leadership evolve from classroom to ceremonial ritual space holder to now online businesswoman? How does that evolve for you over time? Yeah. 
You know, when I was first um, teaching in the classroom, I feel like I was forced in a way to show up no matter what. I had this contract and I had this job and I had this boss that I had to fulfill those expectations for. And it, in a way, in a very good way, forced me to show up in that leadership position day after day, five days a week, you know, 7 a.m. until sometimes, geez, 5 p.m. Teaching is so much more than just what happens in the classroom. I had to be prepared. When I was teaching in Colorado, I also had to prep like six different classes. I was teaching earth science, A, B, biology, A, B, chemistry, physics. Like I had so much that I had to, you know, prepare for before each class. And so doing that for six years ingrained it in my system, one, to be consistent. No matter how I was feeling, you show up and you've got these kids expecting you to be strong or else they're going to eat you alive. Literally. Yes. <laughs> <You know>? yes. <laughs> Never and, show weakness. <laughs> yeah. And I built such a amazing bond with those kids of mutual respect. And, and, and it was, I found my way to have my own spirit and my own essence and my own style come through that they really resonated with. So I had, I, you know, I was also really young. I was very, very close in age to them. I was teaching from like 26 through till 28 ish, you know, in my life. So it was my, it was my twenties. So, but it was an amazing training the best training I could ever do because we learn best through showing up and such a huge part of leadership is that core essence of consistency. So I gained that ability to be confident in my voice and deliver a a message and a lesson through those six years of showing up. Even if I felt terrible, I remember like getting one of my wisdom teeth pulled at the time and needing to be like still show up. And I was in so much pain, you know, like those little things. And when we become an entrepreneur and we no longer have that boss or, or that overarching person that we have to show up for, and we're in pain, it's easier to be like, okay, well today I'm just not gonna, you know, do what I'm here to do. But if it's ingrained in your system to show up in this way, it's, it's a really powerful you know, just thing to have in our system. So for me, it was the foundation of consistency, showing up, finding my voice, learning how to energetically lean into a space, even if I was feeling sick or I was feeling off or I was feeling insecure or whatever it was, I had to repeatedly lean in. My energy body had to lean in. So that wasn't green for six years straight. And I, and I look at that as such a huge pillar of who I am now as a facilitator, a leader, a coach, an entrepreneur, you know? Um, But afterwards, after I left that job and there was a part of me that didn't want to have a boss anymore, that didn't want to do it under someone else's law and force and expectations. And so I started coming more into the entrepreneurial world, you know, doing healing sessions with people, doing retreats and starting to organize my business based on who I was and how I wanted it to be based on my own natural rhythm. So that's been a journey, you know, of not showing up consistently and learning how that impacts my business and also showing up consistently and learning how that impacts my business. So I've had to like, as I've gone into the more ceremonial healing arts, I would say it's invited in more of the feminine aspect of my leadership, the softening, you know, being conscious and aware of how I'm feeling and not just pushing through all the time so that I experience burnout or I experience like hating what I'm doing because I don't have that overarching boss being like, I don't care if you hate it. You have to show up no matter what. I've got to find that within my own heart. 
and within my own mind and my own thoughts, right? So the evolution has been that really masculine, you know, show up no matter what, get the goal, focus, accomplish to the more feminine flow and creativity and designing it myself. And it's taken years to really find my rhythm and success in this, you know, like the first few years it was, I, you know, financially, it wasn't always providing what I needed for my basic needs. And I still had to show up and provide and get better at it. So really it's kind of been a, a a transference of what I learned in that really, you know, in my university study and teaching in high school into my own business and bringing some of those core foundations of what it takes to make a successful entrepreneurial business. If you're an entrepreneur, you lead, you are leading in your own business, no matter what. Right. And so it's like some of these core concepts are either going to make us fail or succeed. And at this point in my leadership, I feel like there's this profound balance of that masculine energy and also the feminine softness, love, compassion, listening to the rhythms and cycles, you know, listening to my needs, acknowledging that productivity comes in many different ways. It's not just me showing up on this podcast is productive. Sometimes you know, being in my pajamas all day and just visioning and feeling what my business needs is just as productive as something like this, right? So I, I feel like my my evolution and my definition of leadership has changed dramatically through, you know, it's been over a decade now, maybe 15 years of being in the arena of, of practice, you know? You spoke to so many good things and one thing I can definitely relate to this is, is when I taught in Thailand and I taught first graders and I had two classes of 40 students and they were five years old and didn't speak any English. It was their first year of school. And I think I learned more about community facilitation in that one year of teaching 80 children that don't speak my language than I did <laughs> in all of my other years of facilitation, which is all I've ever done in my professional career is be a facilitator of some sort because there wasn't such a clear cut. Okay. Now do this. Now do this. Now do this, which I think really mirrors that model of leadership you were mentioning in the beginning of, I don't care if you hate it, you got to show up. It's that very almost like control-based form mm-hmm. of leadership of, I tell you this and I expect you to do it. So yeah. I would love to hear you speak more about how to balance that consistency with listening to your body's rhythms. Yeah, absolutely. And here's where some of the earth wisdom is going to come into my leadership, right? Like there's a huge pillar of just listening to the earth, listening to the environment externally outside of you, and then also listening to the environment within you. And this is how we really develop a, a healthy work slash personal life balance also, right? It's like our planet, you know, goes through seasons and there's the summer, there's the fall, there's the winter, there's the spring. And energetically, they're all perfect. They're all just different phases of the cycle. It's not like summer is better than any other, although we do kind of like summer a lot, you know, we feel (laughs) really good during that. A lot of times also during the winter, you know, it, it might not always feel amazing, but it is important to our process of inner growth and discovery and resting and retreating and relaxation. And so I like to kind of invite this kind of seasonal concept into our business models, especially if we are leaders or entrepreneurs, you know, and as women, we have a menstrual cycle. So that cycle has those four phases in it. And I love to plan 
you know, my month as a feminine leader around that cycle. I have the springtime, I have the summertime, which is my ovulation, right? The fall time is the luteal phase and the winter is the winter phase. So as women, we have that every single month and men can do this too. If they feel like masculine leadership in the way is a little bit different than feminine leadership, just because of, you know, specifically hormonally men have a lot more testosterone. So a lot more drive energy, they can kind of push through in different ways than, than women can, you know, and it's, and I find a lot of women just like, you know, being in that masculine leadership, which is okay, but there has to be a point, whether you're a man or a woman, in the pushing forward consistently that we do allow ourselves to rest and retreat. And so any way that you can kind of bring these four seasons into your planning, into your business model, so that it's not constantly forward pushing based productivity, which is great and amazing. But like I said before, can we acknowledge that when we actually allow our body to rest, when we allow ourselves to, you know, go a little bit more inward and not force ourselves to be constantly extroverted, but to listen when, wait, oh, maybe I do need this moment of being introverted, you know, going into the cave and being in solitude. Our leadership is going to be so much more deeply emphasized if we take that time to take care of ourselves and to tend internally, right? It's like if we're constantly expecting ourselves to be in that summer energy, it's not sustainable. And so how can we invite in the spring, which is just those little trickles of blossoming and ideas, boom, 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 or, you know, the fall, which invites us to kind of turn the energy a little bit more inward, introspective. Maybe these times are where we study, where we receive mentorship or where we receive guidance from our own internal guidance system. And the winter is like where we really just let ourselves be. And this is really hard for leaders because we always feel like we need to be doing, do, 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 do. And I struggle with this myself still, you know, I feel very balanced in my feminine and masculine leadership, but I still have a hard time learning how to just be. And I, and I literally feel like I need to study how to just be, <laughs> you know, because when my motor gets running, it's just like, boom, 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 you know, and, and. When I allow myself to just be and let my nervous system soften and relax and restore, just like the earth does, it can't constantly be in that summer energy, can't constantly be in that reaching from the, for the sun and growth. It's got to rest. This is why we have night and day every single day. I struggle so much when the sun sets and I'm like, no, my momentum is still going forward. I want to just like stay awake. I have such a hard time falling asleep at night because my momentum is there and I want to just keep going. But my body needs rest, even if I fight it, you know, and so it's just really finding what is true rest, you know, because scrolling on the phone is not true rest. Sitting, you know, it's like every leader has to find what do I do where I actually calm my nervous system and go into that deep state of restoration. That's going to be different for every person. You know, for me, it's like I love getting massages or I love having those days, those weekends where I just stay in my pajamas. I don't call anyone. I don't engage with the world. I just let myself be. And a lot of time in that space, creativity comes. Creativity and ideas do not just come when we have our business suit on and we're showing up to the thing. A lot of times creativity can come in the rest. So can we see the rest as equally as productive if we're using it truly wisely? Right? So yeah, everyone's going to find their own balance with it. But I think in our 
the old paradigm of the world is constantly expecting you to perform and do, do, do. And that's the only definition of productivity. And we've got to have a radical redefinition of that. Because some of my best ideas come when I am still in bed in morning in my pajamas. I haven't even brushed my teeth yet. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> my body's rested. My mind is fresh. So honoring the softening. And really, this is honoring the feminine. And we've lost a lot of the femininity in the, in the leadership. And so my, you know, desire is to bring the power of that softening and the power of that, that rest and that restoration and that cyclical way of being more into leadership because that masculine leadership of go forth no matter what is destroying our planet. It's destroying people and it's creating the hungry ghost syndrome that I wanted to find the antidote for in those jungles, you know? So coming back to our own organic rhythms listening to the rhythm and the cycles of the earth, listening to the rhythms and the cycles of our own body, especially for women, because we do bleed. Even if you're not bleeding and, and going through your menstrual cycle as a woman, you are still very cyclical. And men are too. Just because they don't have a menstrual cycle, they have those moments where they need to go and be introverted and just be with self. And then those moments where... And here's the key, what I've found, because I've been tracking my menstrual cycles probably over seven years now. The more I allow myself to rest and restore and be introverted during those times, the more powerful and potent and energized I am when it's time for me to be extroverted and engaging and visible and out in the world. And we think that if we go in and have that introspective time that we're not being consistent, but we are. And can we allow that to be a part of our rhythm? So it's a, it's a, it's a deep one. There's, there's many layers to this and it's just a deeper permission to not constantly have to be pushing, pushing, pushing forward. It can be this dance of energetically leaning in and then softening back, leaning in and softening back and not shaming yourself when you lean back and you restore. There's so much shame around rest and restoration. And that's what we need to clear because we can't be good leaders if we don't take that time of introspection, because that's the only time we get to can actually deeply connect with our heart connect with our body, connect with our soul, connect with the land. You know, it's why people take their vacations and go to the beach because they just want to lay on the earth and reset their rhythm, recharge their battery. It's equally as productive as showing up on a podcast, being on a stage. Can we honor that as equally as productive? That's the big question. And that's the feminine essence coming back in to leadership. Well, and I know that learning how to rest is a learning curve and it's such a journey because as you were mentioning, like it's not just scrolling on the phone. In fact, it's usually not really restorative at all. It can be kind of a portal to just checking out. And I know personally in the chapter of my journey where I was really unwinding patterns of chronic tension in my nervous system rest was very difficult because in that stillness, the internal chaos was very loud. And so I had to just kind of learn how to hold space. So that internal chaos to listen to why is it so chaotic inside? And I think our world is just extremely chaotic internally and externally that to just drop into stillness can be really overstimulating for a lot of people. And so I know rest in that journey of learning to find what does rest mean for me that can mean so many things, as you were mentioning. Um, it might be a massage and laying around, and it also might be like really spacious and playful movement. For me, stillness was not accessible for probably 10 years. I mean, seated meditation was a joke. I hated Shavasana and yoga. I was like, are we done yet? Can we just get back to like some sun salutations or something? Like, I'm just, I'm gonna go. <laughs> 
Uh, it was not, it was not available to that much stillness. Now I am now I am. And I just deeply enjoy it. And so kind of just for anyone's listening, this is, wow, I really love that idea, but I don't know if I ever have time or even know how to rest or how to stop. And if I do, it's really, I find myself feeling uncomfortable. I just kind of wanted to speak to that transition of when we're to go into silence. And that's a pretty stark transition and to just kind of allow some grace and figuring out what are my rhythms, what are my cycles and what does it mean to honor that? And so one thing that when you were describing this evolution of the sun, sun, summer, 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 show up all the time, no matter what to, Hmm, what does it look like when I'm inconsistent in my business to talking about that union? One thing you mentioned was your personal study of ceremonial arts and ritual. So for anyone that's listening, who doesn't really know what that means, can we start with just defining what are the ceremonial arts? And then I'd love to dive in a bit more into how that plays into leadership. Yeah, totally. So ceremony in the way that I've learned from studying a lot of these indigenous cultures, um, ceremony is a way of life. It's not just like in our modern culture, a marriage ceremony as we know it, right? It's like, in modern culture, it's just like, oh, what's ceremony when people get married or these like really huge initiations. In a lot of the indigenous cultures, it's it's a way of life. I mean, when I, w- I lived in Bali for a decade and watched these beautiful humans, this this rich culture so fed from ceremony and it was happening sometimes daily, you know, like, but like multiple times a week where like the traffic would be stopped for their processions going down the streets. And it was just a way of life for these people. And they were so fed by it. And it was almost like the Balinese was, they were two versions of themselves, you know, like during normal life, they would just kind of show up in their, in their normal clothes, their jeans and their, whatever and show up to their jobs and clean or whatever their jobs were. And they were just like these really joyful humans. And all of a sudden when they got into ceremony mode, it was like these Queens and Kings and priests and priestess. And even if they were just like the normal people, they still like, I remember we had a house cleaner at our time and we loved her. She was like family and she would show up just with her like jeans and t-shirt. And then when she was in ceremony mode, she was like, a like she had all this regalia and these, you know, offerings piled up on the top of her head. Like, I was just like, who are you? <laughs> it was just like this extraordinary, exquisite human. And not that we have to do that in ceremony because like, but it is something of like, when you show up to the altar of the divine, you show up as your best self, you give your offerings, you give your heart, you're in communion with the spirits and the gods and the ancestors, and you're honoring the spirits of the land. And it's not just the Balinese who are doing this. It's indigenous cultures all over this planet. And so ceremony is a way to honor the sacred within existence, to honor that this human experience is not just third dimensional, like this microphone and this computer and you, uh, you know, you're my friend and that's my husband and this is all that exists. Like ceremony honors the fact that we are living in a spiritual existence a multidimensional existence beyond just this third dimension. And a lot of ceremonialists are tending to and feeding those spirits and doing a lot of unseen energy work for this planet. Like the way that I see the Balinese, the the profundity of what they are doing for this planet through their continuous ceremony over and over and over again, they are purifying the subconscious within the humanity of this planet. Nobody even knows what they're doing. It's it's just so energetically profound, right? And so 
when we engage in ceremony, one, it's a way to honor the sacredness of life, to pause and go, okay, yes, I've been doing, doing, doing. Let's come back to connect with my soul. Let's come back to connect with the heartbeat of the land. Uh, let's come back. And, and so through sinking into that deeper way of being, it allows us to become more harmonious in nature. So when we, and this is, this is the antidote that I found through studying with these indigenous cultures, the cure to the sickness on this planet is connection. And I'm talking about a deeper, more profound connection than just like having your Instagram followers, you know, or like being able to reach out to someone on Messenger and, and connect in this way. I'm talking about a rich, deep, profound connection to self, to source, God, spirit, whatever you call it, that higher power that's there to the land, to the earth that is literally designed to heal our bodies, our mind. And through these rich connections, we naturally become more harmonious. So I found ceremony to be a way to feed that human desire to fill the void of emptiness, that shopping and scrolling and these really superficial things that we're trying to like fill ourselves with that are never going to fill it, <laughs> but this deeper rooted connection that's going to fill it. And so ceremony and ritual, I'm going to say one more thing and then turn it back to you because I know you want to kind of transition it to a certain place. When we weave this into our life in a very simple or complex way or anywhere in the spectrum, it can be very simple. And that's where, you know, what ritual is. A habitual um, action or pattern that you perform that invokes you sinking into that deeper place of connection to self, source, land, others, right? Um, and ceremony is just a way to honor the sacred and that multidimensional aspect of our human experience, right? So that was kind of a long explanation, but to me, that's what ceremony and ritual is. <laughs> no, it's absolutely perfect. And tell me if I got this correct or not. It sounds like ritual is a simplified version of ceremony. Yeah. And so yeah. what are some steps people can take to introduce or invite ritual into their life, especially if they're not really familiar with that practice? I think everyone is familiar with ritual. I think everyone's already doing it, even if they don't acknowledge that they're already doing it. You waking up and brushing your teeth and getting ready in the morning is a ritual. You sitting there and brewing whatever you drink in the morning and taking the time to hydrate and take care of yourself and your needs, even showering is a ritual, you know? And so designing rituals, one, it's just becoming more aware of what you already ritualistically do in your life that takes care of you, that tends to you, that lights your spirit, that you know, turns your heart on that inspires you. It's like a lot of times we're already doing it. And so first it's like, give yourself credit that you're already weaving a lot of rituals into your lifestyle. It's just about bringing deeper awareness to that ritual and saying, you know what, when I'm taking the shower, I'm not just mindlessly doing it. I'm clearing my energy field. What is that shower actually providing to you? What is it doing for you? When you get out, it's like you hit the reset button. You're purified. A lot of times when we are in water, because it's such a conductor of energy, we receive brilliant ideas, right? Um, I know a lot of clarity comes to me when I'm showering or in the bath or in the ocean. And so it's the simple part of ritual is just being a little bit more aware of what we're already doing 
that provides activation and nourishment of our body, mind, and spirit. So it's like, if you go and you work out every Wednesday um, or three days a week or whatever it is, that's a ritual that's established in your way of being, right? And so it can just happen organically, this very ritualistic doing things that make you a better person, feel healthier, feel more alive, feel more activated, feel more aligned, whatever it is. And really acknowledging the power of those rituals, not just taking it lightly, being really present. If you're making that tea in the morning and dipping your tea bag in it and reading the cool little quote that's on there and really receiving it, letting it be that really precious moment of presence versus, oh, I got to quickly brew it up and chug it. And, you know, like <laughs> the craziness of day-to-day life that we can get into, but can we take it slower? and really receive it and really honor like how much we love that exercise and how much it lights us up, right? So with ritual, you can really consciously create it and design it and be like, you know, we're in this training right now. And I said to everyone, I invite you to bring in a creative flow state ritual. So block a time off in your calendar where you dedicate specifically to creativity. So it can be very you know, organized in that way of like, I'm planning this, I'm designing it based on doing those little things that bring me deeper into my connection to my, myself and creator or to the earth, or it can just be what you're already doing and simply just bringing a little bit more awareness, mindfulness and presence to it. So a couple of things I heard you say, one is that what you learned, one key gem that you learned from all these different indigenous tribes is that ceremony really is the antidote to the empty ghost syndrome. Is that what you called it? I call it the hungry ghost syndrome. And I'm going to pull, I'm going to pull this book out right now. Cause this man right here, Gabriel Mate, he is the leading cutting edge in trauma um, education. Um, psychology, specifically trauma-based education. And the name of this book is In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. So it's kind of this concept around hungry ghosts. And and the hungry ghost syndrome is essentially that void that we all have in us as human beings that is either a black hole that can never be filled because we're constantly filling it with drugs, alcohol, superficial delights, you know, like I was saying, scrolling, pornography, like all these things that are never actually going to fill that void. They just turn it more into a black hole. (laughs) You know, the hungry ghost is just constantly seeking and trying to eat and fill itself, but it never becomes full. And so, yeah, the antidote, I would say not necessarily ceremony. Ceremony is part of that. The core of it, and and Gaber Mate will confirm this, this is in a lot of his research as well, is our genuine need for a deeper, more profound connection. So the medicine is really deeply connecting to self, to that higher power, to our creator, to like real meaningful connections with each other, real relationship with the land and nature. And so that's what my life's work has become. Yeah. So I'm interested to kind of wrap up this portion of the podcast episode in recognizing that ceremony is a really effective technique in cultivating that connection with all parts of life. And that ritual is a simplified version of that, one that is maybe more easily accessible on a day-to-day basis as we are already doing it. We Our life is made up of ritual. And so I'm curious if you could just speak to how does ritual and ceremony and that connection piece play into the importance and effectiveness of personal and professional leadership. Yeah, this is the understanding and the reality that we cannot be as powerful, potent, and life-giving that we need to be in our leadership and our service if we are not tended to ourselves. And so our rituals, and if we decide to do, you know, the more 
extended version of ritual, which is ceremony, which is just a deeper dropping in. Um, and it's, you know, designed in specific ways to um, honor certain energetics, you know, it's just like a deeper drop in a much more intentional drop in than just your normal rituals, right? Through doing these rituals or ceremonies, we allow ourselves to heal our own bodies, fill our fuel tank, <clears throat> right? It allows us to come into our own state of harmony and beauty and connection and deep love and compassion for everything, whoever you're serving, for humanity, for the planet. And so it essentially is the pillar, pillar of our own wellness. And you can see energetically the difference between a leader who is well taken care of emotionally, spiritually, physically, and mentally, and a leader who feels empty in these realms or static or um, just not nourished. And so the invitation is for you as a leader, how can you, and a, and a huge part of my work is holistic wellness, right? How can you look at yourself as a whole and be nourished in your personal life, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and mentally. You design that for yourself. This is your own, and not only for your leadership in your business, but your own well-being and the longevity of your life and the actual fulfillment of your life as it just a human, right? And when we feed ourselves these actual nourishing rituals, you know, or things that we do that actually fill our cup and they don't just like go into the the endless void that can never be filled, we actually fill our cup, then we can, we have more fuel to serve. We, we serve from a really centered place. We lead from a very heart centered place. Our, the frequency and just the way in which we carry ourselves is a lot more wholesome and, and we don't get rocked so much by what comes into our field because we are anchored in our being. We know ourselves. We are committed to our center. We are nourished, right? And so to me, it's just the wellness of how we lead, weaving these things in, taking care of yourself. Leaders are so often externally focused on taking care of others that we forget about ourselves a lot. But honestly, we can lead and serve so much better when we simultaneously are, are truly tended to with going beyond the superficial fills and doing those things that actually really deeply fill us up and fill our fuel tank. So to me, it's this is what has to happen on our planet. More leaders being tended to holistically so that they can be healthy, they can be vital, they can be centered, they can be spiritually illuminated, activated in their hearts, inspired intellectually, right? So yeah, that's my answer to that. I remember having a conversation with a friend a few years ago, and we said, you know, I feel like the president of the United States a part of that election process should be publicly saying what they eat, like what their diet is, <laughs> because I want to know what they're being exactly. fed if they're leading this massive country. Um, and I know it's kind of a joke yeah. and a silly spinoff of what you're saying, but so much of what we've been seeing in the leadership of our culture and of our world is from a place of emptiness. Another word I've heard that, yeah. another word, other words I've used, oh my gosh, other words I've heard used to describe the hungry ghost syndrome is like the breathing dead. Just like, yes, mm. we're breathing. <laughs> we have our lifeline plugged in, but that's about it. And there's not much else there. Yeah. And my mother yeah. said, we're only as strong as your leadership. When you take a job, you should really consider, well, who's leading that company? Who's leading that business? Because that is who you are following. That is who you are being led by. And you will only grow to be as strong yeah. as your leader. 
And so I think this is a super important conversation and really important to just keep repeating this message because we have to stop doing what we've been doing. We have to stop thinking that success and productivity is equate soul sucking and time sucking and energy sucking and sacrifice for us, not the greater good (laughs) sacrifice for actually like a greater, um, negative. I think of something that is literally draining. I don't use the word negative. So I'd love to hear from you. I know I'm asking this question from my own personal experience that I have a compass, a North star of a vision that is possible for our planet, for our people, for businesses, for schools, our communities. And I'm wondering if you have a vision like that of what is possible and if you'd be willing to share that for us. Oh yeah. (laughs) I definitely have a vision. Um, I wouldn't be able to do my work if I didn't have a vision, you know, it's like, that is the reason why I get out of bed and I show up and I am consistent is, is having that clear vision of what I know in my heart is possible. And I, I feel where we are headed is there's, you know, obviously this huge technological advance that's happening on this planet. And what I want to see is the marriage of nature and technology working together to create a very harmonious system. And so far on our planet, there's been a lot of um, systems that have been created that don't have the heart and soul pumping through them. And there is that sense of emptiness within the systems on our planet. So the visions that I have is more of the emotional intelligence, the spiritual intelligence, the connection to our earth and acknowledging that our planet, this earth is our home and learning how to work with her. She's so cooperative and she wants to give us so much of her energy to provide and learning, you know, as humanity, how to work with her with this technology and not seeing the separation of technology and and the earth happening. And when I see these two merging as one, the technology and the earth wisdom coming together, that's when I'm going to know that humanity is leading from a place of wholesomeness, of our best that we could possibly do. And that's when technology becomes sustainable. That's when humanity is acknowledged of like, let's really take care of each other. Not just your mind and your body, but also your emotions, your well-being, you know, the, the holistic health version. And so it's kind of this marriage of masculine leadership, the systems, the structures, the you know, just the intelligence of technology and that forward moving energy married with feminine leadership, which is very energy based, very wellness based, very um, emotionally and spiritually intelligent. So what I see in the future is just this life giving earth that is working with the technologies of renewable energies and food that is actually healthy for people like and all the inputs that people are giving to themselves really actually nourishing real food not empty food you know and so that's that's my vision that i see it's just this marriage of these two energies these two kind of different intelligences learning how to work together in union, you know, and, and from there, I just see humanity thriving. I see wellness in the human culture. I see us coming back to the way of ceremony and the sacredness of life and thriving in that. So that's why I wake up every day. And that's why I show up to the work that I'm creating and doing my part to just create really that my stake in the part of feminine leadership, bringing the heart and the soul back to the systems and structures. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I like was going to say something. I thought, you know, I just want to take a moment and just let that 
exist for a second. (laughs) So if anyone's listening and maybe feels that sense of the hungry ghost or the breathing dead or that void and deeply craves to fill it and identifies as a leader, it's like, how do I bridge the gap from where I am now to where I want to be? What are a few steps they can take to start invigorating that life back into their self? My immediate response always to this is to go in to self and to listen to your own internal guidance system. I can't give you the answer on that. Only you know what is going to be right for you. But what I can give you the answer to is to shut off the distractions. So what I would guide you to do is to go into a safe space and claim your solitude. And in this space of solitude, close the door, put the do not disturb sign up, (laughs) give yourself an hour or two hours and put your phone on airplane mode, close the laptop, Don't even reach for the books and go and be with yourself. Place your hand on your heart, close your eyes, whatever you want to do. Give yourself space to listen, to feel, to come into self. Because once you get quiet enough or still enough to listen, all the answers are going to come. If you don't resonate with, you know, coming into a room, go out into nature. Nature is going to amplify it even more. Clarity always comes in nature, but go alone. Find a spot where there's not people around or distractions or someone who's going to pull you out of your connection to yourself. It all starts with connection to self. And when we truly deeply drop into that place of listening of what you actually need and asking, what do I need in this moment? You're going to hear a whisper that goes, stretch your body. Just lay on the couch and rest. Meditate. It's going to give you that internal guidance. And it's going to tell you how to feed yourself better right? What to plug into, what to connect into that's going to be actually more nourishing for you. You have this awareness inside of you. It knows what is not good for you and what is not healthy. And it knows what is healthy and what is actually going to replenish you. So my guidance here is to go into self and listen. Listen to the little tiny whispers and have the courage to follow through. So if it says, pick up that journal and just start writing, actually do it. Our internal guidance system is filled with the direction that is right for us. Then rather than someone outside of us us saying, here's your prescription, this is what you should do. Our answer is inside. So my first thing that I would say is solitude reclaim your solitude and in your solitude there's going to be this deeper connection to self and notice those clinging to the addictions of those superficial delights that are still distracting you breathe through them and have the courage to try something that's going to be a little bit more nourishing that actually might fill that empty void that unfortunately we all have as humans, but there is strategy to fill it. If we become still enough, quiet enough and wise enough to make the decision of what is actually good for us and right for us and true for us. So to me, all is gonna come in that space of solitude and silence and listening. Asiara, you are such a wonderful teacher and embodiment of everything that you you teach. You don't just talk the talk, but you actually walk the walk. So. I highly recommend anyone who's listening and feels called to work with you. And so if they felt that call, how would they find you? Oh, thank you, honey. I appreciate that reflection. So I am online, of course. Um, I used to be only in person, but the gift of 
this crazy wild pandemic has forced me to fully come online. <laughs> um, so my website is aussiera.com, A-U-S-I-E-R-R-A.com. And you can also find me on Instagram, aussiera.go.forth. My last name is Go Forth. It's real. <laughs> so you can find me through these two platforms and reach out. Let's connect. Let's discuss. And I would love to dive in. I do offer online courses, one-on-one -on -one mentorships, and a lot of just golden nuggets on my Instagram account. So yeah, keep in touch. Thank you so much for joining today. It was such a treasure to have you. Thank you, darling. Such a pleasure. Wasn't that conversation amazing? If you want to stay up to date on more incredible offerings, be sure to rate the podcast and find me on Instagram and LinkedIn to join the community of people who are obsessed with reaching their fullest potential. As always, may you walk with grace and courage, and we'll see you next time.